The question of whether Christians can lose their salvation, whether you can be a child of God one day and not a part of the family of God the next day, has been debated since pretty much the beginning of Christianity, and there is there are few texts more central to that discussion than our text today. Let me reread uh, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. A few weeks ago, I said there are three basic approaches to the warning passages in Hebrews. Uh, there are five big warning passages. Uh, in fact, if there is a primary purpose of the book of Hebrews, it's to encourage Christians who are undergoing persecution not to back away from Christ, but to remain steadfast. And it does this with a positive and negative. The negative is, uh, if you back away from Christ, you back away from God. Apart from Christ, your soul is lost. And the positive is, hey, consider all the amazing things we have in Jesus. Why in the world would you want to give that up? It's worth being persecuted for. It's worth being killed for. It's certainly worth being inconvenienced for. And so the three basic approaches are, number one, um, those who say, look, the warning passages would not be in Scripture if it were not possible for Christians to actually fall away, for you to lose your salvation. Otherwise, what's the point of warning us? The second approach is to say, Hey, Hebrews is a written sermon. It was intended to be read to Christian congregations, and every Christian congregation is a mixed group. You have genuine believers, and you have also some who are not yet truly saved. And so the warning passages are for the not truly saved in the group, but not to the, to the Christian, the genuine Christian. And then there's the third approach, and I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this is the one that makes sense to me in light of uh, uh, the rest of my understanding of the rest of Scripture, is that these are genuine warnings, but uh, the Holy Spirit-indwelt Christian will always heed the warning, so that these warnings are tools God uses to prompt uh, perseverance in the saint. And so, in that sense, they would be kind of hypotheticals, right? You know, if this were to happen, that would, in fact, be the result. Don't go there. And the Christian says, oh, yeah, that's true. I don't want to go there. And so God uses these warnings as tools to provoke perseverance within us. As it relates to this particular text, the core question is, is the author of Hebrews describing Christians, the true Christian who falls away, or someone who is simply immersed in a Christian community, very close to the things of God, who then says, no, thank you. Right? And so these five participles, for it is impossible in the case of those, and now it describes those, who, who are we talking about? Those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, 
and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. And so, um, let me say, I've been reading a lot on this, and to me, it's not an open and shut case. There are good arguments on both sides. Those who say, listen, these participles are clearly um, describing a Christian. They're sharing in the Holy Spirit. They've repented. Uh, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. These are Christian people who then, if they fall away, can't be restored again to repentance. Uh, and so if that's your reading, you either fall in the camp that says, this happens to some Christians, right? And so that is a, uh, that's certainly an, a position a lot, a lot of people take. Yeah, some Christians fall away. And then, or as I tend to see it, this is a true warning about what would happen if you were to fall away, but the true Christian will heed the warning. Now, then there are those like uh, uh, Wayne Grudem. I studied under Wayne Grudem, excellent thinker. And Wayne Grudem says, this describes not the true Christian, but the one who is very close to the things of God. They're part of the Christian community. They know the gospel. They've seen the power of God at work within the church. Uh, they've been up close and personal, but not truly regenerate. And then they say, no, thank you. I don't want Christ. I don't need him. And they fall away. Well, that person will never get a second chance. They'll never be, you, you can't lead them to, uh, to repentance again. And part of Grudem's argument is uh, also verse 9 when he says, about you guys we have, uh, don't, don't quite go there yet, but he says, about you guys we have, we hope for better things, things pertaining to uh, 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 salvation. So he says, um, yeah, this is talking about people who are close to but not truly Christians. So, Bible-believing, really good scholars um, disagree on this fundamental question of who's being addressed here, the Christian or simply the one close uh, within the Christian community. But everybody agrees on the main point, which is this. Don't bet your soul on a second chance. Don't bet your soul on a second chance. Sabrina was telling me about uh, this high school student when she was uh, a young youth leader in North Carolina. And, and this kid had grown up in the church, and he was very vocal about, you know what? I like the world. I want to experience the world, and I'll, I'll do the Christian thing later. But not right now. It doesn't fit my, you know, my young man's uh, desires. And so I'll put all the whole Christian thing, I'll just punt it down the road, and I'll come back later. What would this text say to that young man? You're betting your soul on a second chance. And that second chance might not be there. If you have, at, at a minimum, if you have been close to the things of God, seeing them up front, know the gospel, seeing the power of God at work amongst his people, and then you say, no, thank you, I don't want that. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Don't bet your soul on a second chance. So if you're here and, you know, you're thinking, hey, I want to take a little break. I had a, a buddy, he and I graduated from seminary together. He was 40 years old and 
I remember having lunch with him. He said, Mike, I've been a Christian my whole life, you know, Bible college, seminary. I've never gotten to experience the world. I want to just take a break and go sow my wild oats. He used those words. I'm like, dude, you are pl- you're playing with fire. Don't do that. Praise God, a couple of years later, you know, he said to me, I'm not, I'm not not a Christian. I'm not abandoning the Christian faith. I just I just don't want to be so into it. A couple years later, he told me uh, it, it was the most soul-terrifying place he'd ever gone. And he worried that he'd gone too far. And praise God, he did come back to repentance and is walking with the Lord. But man, don't bet your soul on a second chance. We don't take these things casually, right? And then what does he say? Um, Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. If you've been that close to the things of God and then you say, no, thank you, you're basically saying, eh, Christ deserved what he got on the cross. I don't care. I'm not going to honor that. And and that's bringing shame upon the Lord. You've You've been in a church. You've been part of the Christian community and then said, no, thank you. What does that say about your value? What does that tell other people about what you, how you value the Son of the living God and the mercy of God that he has made available to you? You put, bring shame upon, upon God. So don't bet, bet your soul on a second chance. Now, you're sitting there and you're, you're reading this and you're sobered. Well, I don't want to fall away. So then the natural question is, you know, is there, is there anything I can do to inoculate myself against falling away? What can I do very practically to ensure that I cling to Christ for a lifetime? And I think that's what he goes on to talk about beginning in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. This is this word beloved. Only time he uses it in, in the book uh, it's very endearing. Hey, I, I've just warned you. I've given you this incredibly harsh warning. But listen, I, I had to give you that warning because that's, you know, that's true and you need to be aware of that danger. But hey, in your case, beloved, I'm, we're sure of better things for you, things that belong to salvation. And why? Because he's seen evidence in their lives of love for God. And he sees them involved in, in, in uh, serving the saints. And he's confident that that kind of activity in their life is going to hold them close to Christ. Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you so first he's talked about kind of the community, and now he says, and now each one of you, we want each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish or lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Stay engaged by serving the saints. Jesus says that where your treasure, treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you're spending time, energy, money, uh, participating in the local church, helping the local church be 
healthy, helping it go forward in its mission. Well, your, your heart will be there as well. But the danger is you get disconnected. And when you get disconnected from the saints, from the people of God, from very practically the local church, in chapter, uh, in chapter 11, he says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And so when you get disconnected from the local church, even when you're involved in a bunch of good things, right? I'm helping out at the Rotary Club. I'm, I'm helping my kid become all she can be in soccer. Uh, I'm volunteering at good things. Uh, you know, for the next couple of years, I, it's all about family time, and we're going to go out and hit every, you know, float every stream in Alaska. And these are good things. But if it disconnects you from the church, from the people of God, uh, it, it makes it easy, easier to drift away. Remember we saw that a few chapters ago? Don't drift away. And so, you, you know, you want to inoculate yourself against falling away. Just make a decision to remain fully engaged in the church. Uh, remain engaged by serving the saints. Right? So this is one of the benefits of being involved in a journey group. And you might not right now think, I need a journey group, but people need you, and you do need a journey group. Find, come, find a way to serve around here. Find some friends. Be involved in the local church, and God will bless you. And one of the ways he blesses you is by uh, making it a whole lot harder for you to succumb to the temptation to back away from Christ or to fall away. All right, now let's turn to the super encouraging part of the text. Because, you know what, God does not want you to worry about your salvation. 1 John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, he says, you know, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to be secure in your relationship with him. He doesn't want you to, to worry about, um, you know, are you or aren't you going to uh, remain until the end? So let's read verse 13. For when God made a promise, actually, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to tell a story first. Put that fun picture up there. Yeah, okay. So commercial fishing, I've told you this before. I commercial fished 14 summers out in Bristol Bay. This buoy marks the intersection of the south line and the west line in the Igigik district. So we're at least a mile offshore here. And that buoy has been there for years. And it better not move because the fishermen would be very uh, upset. It has to be stable and permanent so that nobody fishes outside the district like I accidentally did one time. A couple miles over, I think. My dad, who uh, had to get me off there. Good job, Dad. I wasn't the captain, so that's my defense. So anyways, I'm here. I'm a young man. I'm in my 20s, and I thought it would be fun to ride the buoy. So the boat pulls up, and I jump off onto the buoy, and I quickly found that this buoy leans whichever direction my weight is, and so it was one wild ride. And eventually, I was completely fatigued and collapsed into the water, and it was all my, uh, cr my, my fellow crew members could do to pull me 
back up. I, I went too far. But the, the point I want to make is this buoy is anchored, probably like a pelican anchor. I mean, it's not going anywhere, and it hasn't for years. It is a stable fixture out there in the ocean. All right, now in light of that story, let me read. Starting in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, God tell, making a promise is good enough, right? You can take the word of God to the bank. But God wanted to make it unmistakably clear to Abraham and to all of us who put our faith in the promises of God that these promises were unshakable, unretractable, something you could bank your life upon. Therefore, he, he uttered an oath. Uh, you know, I swear by myself. <laughs> I'm going to make this happen. So, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things, his word and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you have a strong and, sure and secure anchor for your soul? It's not to be found in secularism. It's not to be found in any other religion. It is to be found only in the Son of the living God. And it's backed by the promises of God that he has backed with an oath. It, it's not going anywhere. It's like that buoy out there at the southwest corner of Igigik District. It's permanent. And as long as you're clinging to it, you're safe. Your soul is secure. As long as you cling to Christ, your soul is 100% secure. God is never going to change his mind about his promises. God has issued a promise through his word to all people. If you will put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You will be indwelt with the spirit of God. I'll empower you to live an increasingly transformed life. And then someday I'll raise you from the dead so you can live with me forever. Th that promise stands. And we can make a decision whether we're going to cling to that or not. And as long as we cling to it, there is absolutely no need for insecurity at all. Let me give you uh, another analogy. Sometimes I think about the promises of God in Christ by the way, the scripture says that all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Every promise God has ever made to humanity, it's yes in Jesus. So here's the analogy. I think sometimes of the promises of God as a sunbeam. 
And so I've got a couple of pictures of cats enjoying the sunbeam. The promises of God aren't going anywhere. Isn't that the cute little, I couldn't resist that. My girls thought it was awesome. So the, the promise of God are like the sunbeam. Some sunbeam's there. And if you step into it, you get to enjoy it, right? And the, but you have a choice to make. The Bible says we have a choice whether or not we will have faith in the Son of the living God. But as long as we have faith, we're in the sunbeam and we're enjoying all of the promises. There is no, there should be no ambiguity in your soul. Do you know, are you a Christian? Is your faith in, in the Son of God? By the way, this text is not talking about um, gradations of holiness. It's not saying, you know, you got to make sure you're a good enough Christian. We're talking, we're talking about somebody who says, I don't need Jesus. I am not a Christian. I'm, I'm walking away from all of this, and I'm going to just go live a secular life, or I'm going to go try out another religion. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, I'm a Christian, but maybe I'm not living, you know, good enough. Other portions in, in Scripture talk about, you know, what we miss out when we live a, a, a kind of a lazy Christian life. Here we're talking about apostasy, that which is the actual word, abandoning the faith. So you don't need to have any insecurity about your soul as long as you're hanging out in the sunbeam. As long as you have faith. And you can, you can ascertain immediately, do I have faith in Jesus or not? Have I accepted him as my personal Savior or not? Now, you might say, okay, but I don't know 10 years from now. What's going to happen? Will I change my mind and, and, and get wrapped up around that? Listen, you're in charge. Uh, don't let anybody convince you that you are not in charge of your own mind and your own heart. The Bible always addresses us as being in charge. It's part of being made in the image of God. You are responsible and you have the power to believe. And, and, and no situation on earth, nobody could do anything to you that can jeopardize. You are in charge of your own thinking. And you can have faith. And that's never at risk. And listen, God will always help you when you're trying to do something good. And so if you say, God, I want to follow you for a lifetime. Would you please help me? Help me resist uh, the temptations of the world. I, I choose to remain connected to your church. I'm going to do what I can on my part, but please, by your Holy Spirit, would you help me remain? Now, I take great comfort in the scriptures that say things like, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But you got to know, God is going to move heaven and earth to help someone who genuinely wants to remain faithful for a lifetime, right? It's not going to, what does it say? God's not unjust. He's not going to leave you out there on your own. So, so listen, you don't need to worry. Now, if someday you were to come to me, like I had a roommate in college. I love this guy. He grew up in the church. He, I've told you the story before. He was the president of his youth group at high, in, uh, in high school, got to college and he walked away and he said, I'm no longer a Christian. Now I'm not going, based on the word of God, I'd be foolish to say, don't worry about it. You prayed a prayer one time when you were a kid, you're in. No, the testimony of the word of God is if you are, if you are rejecting Christ right now, your soul is lost. Now you're sitting there thinking, maybe that's me. 
If your heart longs for Christ, if you want to repent, if you want to have faith in Jesus, you're not there, at least not yet. And so right now you can say, God, I've strayed too far, and uh, I'm feeling convicted, and I want to return. I'm, cl- I'm choosing today to cling to Christ. Well, if that's where you are, then, then uh, you're not to that point where you can't repent again. But be cautioned, right? This word, the, the, the word is certainly trying to caution us to not take this stuff lightly, not treat the things of God with contempt and with casual, uh, casualness. All right, so let's respond. Maybe you want to, if it helps you to um, think through, maybe you need to close your eyes and bow your head. You don't have to. So we've talked about, uh, number one, the person who, who's betting his soul or her soul on a second chance, man. Maybe that hits you and you're like, oh, I'm getting too casual about the things of God. Heed the warning. And maybe you're, maybe you're feeling God say, listen, because uh, we've talked about inoculate yourself against the temptations by remaining uh, fully engaged in the church. Serve the saints. And maybe you've been inspired today to recommit yourself to, to being a full participant in the local church. God has given you the local church as a means to spur you on in the faith and to provoke uh, faith in your life. Man, don't leave it on the sideline. Yes, it requires sacrifice and intentionality, but it's worth it. And then maybe maybe you just needed to be reminded today that, listen, the promises of God are unshakable. There is an anchor for your soul that is secure. Uh, it's not going anywhere. And so maybe you needed the assurance, hey, I do have faith in, in Christ. And so, you know what? You're not at, at all in danger. Let me remind you again of First, first, uh, first John chapter 5. I'm going to read it. Um, 12 and 13. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Is that true of you? Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? If so, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Maybe you need to receive that promise. Let's pray. We thank you for your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, thank you for caring enough about us that you have articulated uh, your vision, you've articulated your plan, you've clarified um, what it is that you uh, desire of us and demand of us and all of your promises. And so we receive them today by faith and we choose to walk uh, more fully in them. Thank you, Jesus, for making all of this possible through your sacrificial death upon the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.